name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. My guest this week worked as a coal miner, a sign painter, a fishmonger, well, a lot of things. But everyone knows him as the founder and creative director of British clothing brand Universal Works, Mr. David Key. David and I spoke about his early career working for Paul Smith, the origin of Universal Works, and why the plan is to never have one. David Keat, yeah. it's it's a joy, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I don't know if you know like how, you know, I, the more that I got to learn about you, the more I learned how closely, you know, in some ways that our, our stories and our backgrounds kind of overlap. Okay. Not that I have created Universal Works, <laughs> but, you, you know, um, I, I have been a Universal Works fan for some time, and one of my favorite parts about your brand is it is like a clothing company brand that every single person I know who has different opinions about clothes, the common denominator is that everyone seems to like Universal Works. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's good news. Yeah. I no, I, I mean that. Like it is yeah. some of the most, and I say this with loving admiration, that is a simple, beautiful clothing company. Like, every, you know, and also we'll talk about this later, but the Birkenstock collaboration mm-hmm. and even just how you guys did the video with the the drummers and the yeah. music and stuff yeah. unbelievable yeah we were very very proud of that it's a really cool thing that we did i think yeah as you should be it's phenomenal um so i, I want to chat a little bit about like some of your your roots and where you're from and because mm-hmm. i think for me you know you have you have so much authenticity to like your product because you know not only that you know we'll talk about how you you know you were a coal miner at one point and but i mean you like like live and breathe your product almost like th- through a philosophical sense but first off i want to talk to you about corduroy shorts yeah green corduroy shorts yeah you've been doing your homework <laughs> yes so do you from what i heard from you this is what set you off on a journey about clothing yeah, very much so. Um, uh, I think I've just actually spoken to someone in my office this morning about some corduroy shorts, which is a bit freaky. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the about actually doing some cool corduroy shorts. Oh, but, there you go, full circle. Um, yeah, full circle. It's <laughs> the the circle is is, is now closed. Um, uh, as a I can't remember seven, eight, nine year old, uh, I was given a pair of corduroy shorts to wear to school. Mm-hmm. And knowing that I was going to be the only kid that day, A, in shorts, B, in corduroy, C, in green, uh, it was, I was not a happy place for me to be. And I decided at that point I was never going to let my parents choose my clothing ever again. Uh, that's, a, that's pretty ever. interesting at, at that young of an age yeah, to have I that mean, strong I of an age. I knew that this was wrong. <laughs> and within two years, I'd persuaded two years, two or three years, certainly I'd persuaded my parents to give me the money they would have spent buying me clothes. Okay. And I would supplement that with any kind of pocket money or, or allowance or, you know, I was f- doing the garden. I would do any odd job to earn some money from my family to supplement the clothing money to buy better clothes. And what were the clothes that you were buying instead? Oh, they were, they were just, uh, they'd be from a local market. They'd be, I mean, yeah. it wasn't that I had lots of money or my family had lots of money. I just would spend all that I had mm-hmm. to get the next level of cheap jean as opposed to the lowest level of cheap jean. 
It was more about the choice. It was more about the fact that I could choose it. Right. And I didn't want to wear what someone else thought I should wear. I wanted to wear what I thought I should wear. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a sense of empowerment there when you, yeah. you know, in a way, like, especially at that age when you can control how you look to everyone else. Yeah. That's a, that's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, of course, um, for us in the UK, certainly, school often comes with a uniform. That's right. And certainly from for most of us from 11 to 18, we, we have to wear something that we're told to wear. But it's surprising how much you can adapt that if you if you have the desire. <laughs> right. So you, yeah, you can you can. Uh, but you weren't thinking about clothing as a career or anything yet, right? I mean, when, uh, when does no, some of this I don't think I knew in? there was. I came from a, a very uh, blue collar, a very working class background. M- you know, my family. I didn't know anyone that had been to college, let alone been to, to you know, had anything that wasn't a job making something. So, you know, my my family were carpenters and builders and bricklayers and bakers and plumbers. And mm. they did practical, uh, genuine things, mostly making... Um, Tangible objects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, you know, uh, as, a, you know, my father was a baker, lived in a, you know, we lived in a bakery for much of my uh, formative years, certainly really? till the age of, uh, what would I be, 12, 13. We actually lived at a bakery where my father was the baker. Oh my God. So, you know, it was, it was, but, you know, his father was a carpenter. My, all my uh, mother's side were people who, who did those kind of jobs. They made things. Was there desire for you to, to also be in, in some form of a trade like that? I, I mean, to some extent, I think my family, I think like, like most working class families, they want their children to do better than themselves. Mm-hmm. They want, they want you to have more earning power, perhaps. Uh, but I don't think their scope was, they didn't expect me to go off and do something. Uh, I think their expectations were, were um, limited to by their own experiences, for sure. Mm. Or their, their, their expectations for me, their hopes for me were limited by their own experiences. Right. So, yeah, I guess um, I, was, I was someone that hated school. Hey, uh, I had no intention of being in college or university just because I didn't think it was for me. I didn't like being, I wanted to earn money and buy clothes, <laughs> <laughs> go out dancing, meet girls, you know, the stuff that you do when you're, or, uh, you know, when you're a, a teenager, right. you want to do things, you want to have experiences. Uh, and for me, dressing well was part of that. So I was very happy to go and get a job. Um, and what was that job? Uh, I was uh, uh, I was working as a I guess you'd call it uh, sign writing and painting. So I was I was painting signs because I knew I I think my first desire was to be involved with um, what would now be uh, you know a, a graphic artist. You okay. Would be, but a physical one, you know. Uh, well, only because I didn't know there was any other sort. <laughs> Right. I didn't have the, the experience. I lived in a small place. I, you know, I was from. Is you around Nottingham? Is that no, no. I was I was nearer to the west of the centre of the UK in Birmingham, okay. and I, but I wasn't from the big second biggest city in in the UK. I was from just outside it in a small village, and right. So you know, you had that kind of mentality of 
uh, it was your expectations were different. I didn't mm. know people who lived in the city. I didn't know people who had the opportunity to go and study at university. I didn't know people who left home and had apartments. I was from a you know a small place with a, a working class family. So I think your your knowledge of these things, or my knowledge of it, wasn't around at that time. It came later. Right. So you're a sign maker for a bit, and you still have this like love for clothes. Yep. What what happens from there? Because I know you know one of the most wonderful things about you is like you were what like employee number four at Paul Smith or something. Yeah, I mean, I ought to check those. Uh, I don't know what number I was, but certainly <laughs> in in the I'm saying I'm guessing the single digits for sure. Yeah. Um, I was just uh, still very obsessed with clothing um, and spending my hard earned money on, yeah. on, on on all of it as one does on clothing. Uh, and I think the the guy who was running the original Paul Smith store, uh, who was moving, who was leaving town, I think he kind of took pity on me and said, why don't you come and work here because you're spending <laughs> all your money here. And he introduced me to Paul and, and I convinced Paul that I could run a clothes store when I'd never run a clothes store. I was, a, you know, a kid. I had no idea. But I think how old are you? I guess I was about 21. Okay. Um, and I'd done a million different jobs from being in a coal mine to being a fishmonger to being a draftsman to being a sign writer to being, you know, lots and lots of things. Uh, none of which were uh, obviously keeping my uh, attention much other than um, paying me a salary that I could then spend on clothes. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it seemed like the fitting thing to do is actually go and work in that industry. But I didn't even know it was an industry. It was just where I, you know, it was the things that I loved. I didn't know you could, how you made clothes. I didn't know how you designed clothes. I just liked clothes. So it was more of a job, not a career in your head, Yeah, absolutely it was, yes. I didn't think that far ahead. So It was was a job that meant I got really cool clothes quite cheaply. Brilliant. I was happy. Yeah. So what's that like? Because, I mean, this is, you know, Paul Smith now, I mean, it's, you could almost argue it's a bit of an empire. And this is like, you know, the early, early stages and you're running the, running the, 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 the store. Yeah, it was the best education in the apparel industry you could ever have. Uh, yeah. You know, to be a, an, uh, an uh, not an early stage. I mean, Paul was, was wholesaling his, his right. brand and, and had just opened a store in London. And, um, but the, the company was growing at an incredible rate. Mm-hmm. Menswear was evolving at an incredible rate. There wasn't really anything like the maturity of the industry there is now. Every it felt like every six months we changed. We changed direction. We grew. We uh, my own job within the company changed and developed mm-hmm. so fast that it was an amazing education in retail, in wholesale, in. So design, you're getting to see all the aspects of the business, not yeah. just you know, you're the yeah. store manager. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I went from, because I was the the keenest kid on the block um, <laughs> and and was lucky enough to have been successful in retailing, mm-hmm. um, come and help us with our wholesaling. You can sell things. Yeah. Um, we need someone to help get all these things made. I'll do that. I'll do anything because I'm excited and interested by it. So um, I was able to move through the company in literally in almost in months but certainly in years through 
the wholesale business, the retail business, the production of clothing. Yeah. And saw the, Paul and his team designing product and having to make things that they wanted that they didn't have. They wanted to make it, but they didn't know how to make it. So I had to find someone to make it. They wanted to sell it, didn't know how to sell it. I had to find ways. So I was just part of a team of people, but very young, enthusiastic people. What a great place to learn everything. And Paul was an amazing teacher. I mean, yeah, you know, he is. I still think, to a large extent, undervalued in in what he's done in in the UK and globally. Mm. Yeah, I mean, because there's definitely, you know, like we were talking about, there's this like empowerment thing that's happening. So similar to what you were doing, you know, almost as a kid, like you're just, yeah, you can do that. I mean, who in your head told you that you could do that? Like, where do you think that came from? Uh, I don't think anyone did. I think um, I, I, do you know, it was, uh, I had a conversation recently with uh, a couple of people and I'm still not convinced I can do it. I just, <laughs> I just think I'm good at bagging it. Uh, uh, I think as a, as a young kind of working class kid and suddenly being involved in this amazing fashion world, yeah, I was just utterly amazed that anyone let me in. I was utterly amazed anyone let me at the table. I mean, how how did this happen? How am I in this, either in this factory telling this guy to make me these trousers or how am I in this amazing salon selling to the best store in Milan? How am I doing any of this? I think I was always so, um, I'm trying to think of a word that isn't as crass as gobsmacked, <laughs> constantly <laughs> gobsmacked, that they let me do this. Yeah. Um, and I think you you you're either born with a certain level of confidence, or your that level of confidence is educated into you. I don't think I ever had it. I think I just pretended I had it. And it's only when you get a little bit older that you suddenly realize pretending you've got it's as good as having it. Yeah, the whole fake it till you make it. Just exactly fake it till you <laughs> till you've got it for sure. Because I'm I still wake up and think this actually happened to me. Am I actually making my own clothes? Yeah. Wow, who who allowed that to happen? Yeah. So back at Paul Smith, you guys make a workwear collection. Yep. This is like some of the almost some of the pre-universal works, like For sure. vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how did that? How did that happen? Uh, we we made all of our shirting with one uh, factory, mm-hmm. uh, one one shirt factory. Um, very small, but definitely, you know, more of a factory than a, an artisan maker. And they were going out of business. Um, mm-hmm. Their production was uh, was uh, probably, you know, more expensive than other places. And a lot of production was going offshore. Right. Um, and we bought the factory to, to maintain that uh, supply for ourselves. As well as I think Paul was very clever that he knew that there was value in ownership of that of that name and that factory and its history. Mm-hmm. It had made clothing and apparel for for several generations, and not just shirts. It would made jackets and trousers. It had been a, a garment maker, mm-hmm. and he saw the history because he'd visited it enough to understand that the history itself had value. And that we should start a new brand, given the name of the this original maker, and that he would sell that initially in Japan and, and then globally. Mm-hmm. 
and I thought it was utterly genius and loved it and wanted to be the person that ran it for Paul. Uh, I didn't get that job. Someone else did. <laughs> uh, much to my disappointment. Was, it, say, um, was that the first time you, you, you heard no? Like you didn't get it? Oh, uh, yeah. No, it wasn't. No, it was a few things I tried to do that I, that, uh, I didn't. I think uh, I was all, Paul always said to me, but you're really good at what you're doing. I want you to carry on doing that. Um, well, that's reassuring. Uh, which was lovely, uh, but it just... I wanted to do something else. I guess. <laughs> so bored it wasn't again? what I wanted. Yeah, Dang I wanted it. to move on. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think he, I think he understood something that maybe ten years later, the world was interested in, which was that kind of idea of the of the the factory that produced something being itself a brand. Ah. And at the time, those things didn't really exist. They did, but they were not. The, the whole heritage thing hadn't happened. Yeah. And the, workwear. and the workwear thing hadn't happened, so we were making uh, things based on a you know a refuge collector's coat from Westminster mm. uh, because this factory in Derby had made it fifty a hundred years ago. It was genuine. It had real authenticity, and actually, no one cared. Paul got it and really wanted it, and then no one cared. Not even the Japanese at that time cared. They do wow. now, and they did some years later. So as a collection of garments, it was never very successful. Right. Um, should I be saying that? Uh, you're not listening, Paul. <laughs> um, but I loved it, and uh, actually, for sure, Universal Works is closely related to it, shall we say. Yeah. It's it's one of those things, like, you, you were just so ahead of the game that, you know, people, you know, just yeah like you were saying they just weren't ready yeah i i think timing is a lot it's so important isn't it people mm-hmm. said to me um when we started universal works what made you start then you've been doing this for many many years within the industry for other people why why then did you start your own brand and i think i was gonna say i was about to ask you that <laughs> it just wasn't right before that i wasn't right the garments i wanted to make probably wouldn't have been successful i think timing is in your personal life and your own personal development as well as the garment itself yeah it was a combination of things that came the timing was a combination of all of those things yeah so how many years did you spend at paul smith before universal works because you did some other stuff right yeah yeah absolutely um i was with paul uh, 13 14 years I, i'm not very good at counting i think that's the problem <laughs> that's okay Similar, when did that happen oh in the 90s in the noughties i can't remember sure. um but no i was there i was there i i think about 13 14 years yeah okay yeah and then where do you jump from there uh i went off i got uh headhunted by a big uk kind of high street uh, brand that had women's wear that were going to launch menswear okay uh, and then never did oh uh, i think it was just a i think they were uh the glamour of having someone from the other side of the industry the sort of you know, yeah the more design side was was had drawn them to to me yeah i probably got sold to them by a headhunter that i was way better than i really was well, i don't um, know about that but okay and yeah I, you know someone offered me a I, I felt I needed a new challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was um, given a big fat salary and a fat car and a nice mobile phone and come and work for us and off I went. And I lasted about six months before I realized the corporate world wasn't for me. Oof. That's okay. 
and uh, yeah, I guess <laughs> I, I guess it it was gr- in a way looking back, it was great because I realised that that wasn't where I wanted to go. Yeah, but again, it's timing. You know, maybe a few years later, I'd have taken that job and been much better at it, or wanted it more, or it just. I well, do you want it right now? Well. Absolutely. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Um, now I'm doing the thing that I always dreamed I would never get the chance to do, and I'm doing it, which is working for me. Yeah, because I was going to say, I mean, Universal Works is not this venture capital backed company. Nope. You know, it's not. Um, we thought the system was broken, so we fixed it type thing. I mean, there's so much authenticity to the brand mm. and it, the, the items are so like lovely and simple and the quality. I mean, it's, mm. I, again, it's, it's by far one of my like personal favorite brands. Um, yeah, for sure. So what year, what year do you start Universal Works? Uh, we started 10 years ago. We started okay. 10 years Our first collection was, was winter, uh, 09. So yeah, this is, this is 10 years in, uh, because we started as a as a business selling to the to the retail trade, yeah, so as, a whole, you know, wholesale, as a wholesale, yeah. Then we started selling in the January of that year, right? But this autumn, you know, the collection going out fall now is is the first one was ten years ago. So we feel like this is our, our ten year anniversary, right? For sure. Um, even though I guess we're kind of eleven years old in reality, sure. because we because uh, that's hey, we're, we're not we're not dealing with the numbers yeah, here, right? Exactly. We can't count. You know that already. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Away. Away creates thoughtful products built for the way modern travelers see the world. They started with the perfect suitcase, and now they offer a range of essentials, all of which make your travel more seamless. Whoever said it's all about the journey has never traveled during the holidays. It's the most stressful and craziest time to hit the road. But Away's products are designed to work and fit together, making travel more smoother for the holidays and beyond. Thankfully, this year I'm using the interior organizer on my Away carry-on because you know I gotta pack lots of sweaters. And like me, everyone has a unique travel style, which is why Away offers a range of suitcases made of different materials like polycarbonate, aluminum, and durable nylon a variety of colors, and two carry-on sizes. So for whoever you are and whatever you need to pack, gifts, comfy clothes, holiday treats, Away has luggage that works for how you travel. I'm always rushing to the gate, so you know I use those four 360-degree wheels so I can glide through security while everyone else seems to be reenacting the scene from home alone. Right now, Away is offering Blamo listeners $20 off any suitcase or bag. Just visit awaytravel.com forward slash blamo and use promo code blamo at checkout. And yes, Away offers free shipping and a 100-day trial. So what are you waiting for? Save $20 off any suitcase or bag by visiting awaytravel.com forward slash blamo and use promo code blamo at checkout. And I mean, when you launched, you, you had a very sort of concise core collection, right? I mean, there was just, it wasn't, you know, like you know, yeah, 70 I mean, pieces. You know, I, I had, uh, you know, my, my plan was to never have a plan. Mm. My, uh, my goal was to, was, or, or my, let's say it's not so much a goal as a mission. It's genuinely a mission because I want to dress everyone better 
I think I know how everyone should be dressed. Oh, okay. Clearly, that's an egotistical, uh, crazy idea. But I think, uh, you know, the world's a better, happier place when we all feel good and look good. Yeah. Um, so I see it more as a mission than anything. But I think the, originally when we started, you know, it was totally self-financed. Mm-hmm. And either I sold my house and... and and my partner wasn't very happy with me, or uh, I was able to only make the clothing, that, sorry, the samples and the collections that we could afford to make. So right. we started off with 40 pieces, but that was big enough to be a believable collection yeah. within a, a, you know, a, a multi-brand showroom. I was lucky enough to put it in a showroom with some other very nice brands, and people saw it. So we got uh, nine clients, the first collection. That's huge. Um, and uh, I, I said to myself, if I can get 10 stores buying this, it's viable. I've got a, I can run a business because I can't count. Nine was close enough. <laughs> and off we went. Um, but yeah, the reason it was 40 pieces and not nearer to the 400 it is now is because of the cost. You know, we did it ourselves. So we didn't buy any fabric for two years. We chose fabric that was already on someone's shelf we said to all of our makers and the factories we work with we said and where, where were you making these at the time this is in the uk and uh, then that first collection was partly in the uk and partly in india mm-hmm. and all of that was done with the help of people i'd worked with for years yeah so it was all every favor i could find but everything was Things existed. So the fabrics that I chose were already on a factory shelf. They were, they were going to be wasted, effectively. Right. And we, we stopped them going into landfill and turned them <laughs> into a new collection um, because I couldn't afford to buy it, but I could afford to take it off someone's hands. Right. Um, and so we, we won on both counts. We uh, sold the a collection based on helping that factory use older fabrics that some other guy had made them buy yeah. and wasn't going to use. So it was a... Uh, that's a genius idea. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's from having, you know, a lot of experience within the industry, knowing that the big guys will make you buy 5,000 meters and sell 4,500 and think they've done a great job. But actually, there's 500 meters lying on the shelf. Which is a lot of clothes. Which is a lot of clothes. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of cost to that to that factory you know that shirt guy suddenly got enough shirts for 250 shirts right and he can't sell it and that's his profit gone right so i gave him a way of making some profit from me yeah but allowed me the time to be able to make it sell it before i had to pay him so it was uh it was it was friends and colleagues that I've known for many, many years with the industry that allowed us to do it. But that smaller capsule collection effectively was because of the inability to make as many pieces as I do now. Yeah. There's definitely this like giving and harmonious nature of you, your life and your clothing. I mean, the sense of you wanting to, I imagine, you know, the sense of you wanting to have other people dress better was, do you think that was from the empowerment you felt from you dressing better as a younger person? Yeah, I think um, the feeling that I had at that 
fairly young age and not wanting to wear those green corduroy shorts you know i want other people to have that i want other people to feel empowered by it for sure and i think yeah. clothing can and does empower you yeah i th- i'm i'm in that sort of strange place i don't think what you wear is important mm-hmm. but i think it can be important so you know what's important is what we is is how nations talk to each other how we have you know we respect each other how we mm-hmm. hopefully don't have wars how we solve huge problems that come with medicine and science and right. clothing is not one of those important things but it, we all wear it we all look at each other so let's make it better and let's make the world look and feel better and we'll all be happier for it and right. maybe then some of those other things we'll have a bit more time for and a bit more care for yeah well, so to kind of jump back to, to Universal Works, what, you know, we met up at your retail store earlier. Yep. Yep. Uh, when Was retail ever a part of the plan? I mean, because you were saying you'd started just wholesaling. Uh, yeah, I think um, uh, retail was sort of in the background and our thoughts that we would like to have the, um, the opportunity to, to display what we could do in our own environment. Mm-hmm. But those they're kind of quite expensive things. Yeah. And we thought it'd be a few years down the, down the road, really, before mm-hmm. that would happen. I guess the background with with Paul Smith, with Maharishi, where retailing was an important part of those brands and showcasing what those brands were really about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always knew that that would be a, a goal of ours to be to have our own stores to show people what we were. Um, but I think we did it much quicker than we expected because a friend happened to have a store with a lease on it he wanted to move away from and open something bigger and said, hey, do this and we'll help you run it. And then he couldn't help us, so we had to do it anyway. And uh, sometimes things just happen for the right reasons. Right, yeah. So we started retailing after a couple of years of the brand starting, probably a lot sooner than we would have expected. Uh, and that worked for us it helps yeah it helps in the sense that you get a more immediate reaction from the consumer i mean you're controlling your narrative too yeah yeah for sure you know and people see what you are about a lot quicker and you get to find out whether uh what you're doing is is liked it's you know does it fall apart does it work and and i think that's big for us really important you know you get much closer to the guy that's going to wear it yeah I mean, what happened within your time and obviously of you making Universal Works that made you realize like, oh, this is it. Like, this is really what I'm supposed to be doing. Was there an event or? No, I guess, you know, I, I was being honest earlier. You know, I think yeah. often I wake up and think, wow, people are still letting this happen. Surely <laughs> someone's going to wake me up or, or stop me doing this soon and catch me out that I can't actually do this. But I also think once uh, I... You know, I, whoever I worked for, I always thought I could do it better. Mm. Not in an arrogant way. Um, I just thought we could do this in a way that was more was more interesting or fairer or uh, cooler or something. There was never there was never something that I thought they've got it absolutely spot on. I think there's a there's a better way of doing this or achieving this or showing this. And suddenly I had the opportunity to do it because you're the guy in charge. You're the guy saying yes or no. Right. So it felt right. It felt like right from the beginning, it felt like something that I 
could do and wanted to do. Yeah. On the good days, at least. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, to, to jump to just the Paul Smith thing and, mm-hmm. and even so much of your life, like, you were really empowered by others at a younger age. I mean, is that a characteristic that you try to exhibit now with staff and employees that you have? Yeah, I mean, I think I was given amazing opportunities at, um, at Paul Smith and then other companies I've worked for, and I've always yeah. been hugely grateful for that. And yeah, because Maharishi we didn't even discuss, which is no. a, an amazing thing. Yeah, and, and I still love that brand, and I still think they have a fantastic product, and mm-hmm. um, I, I am still an ad- admirer of, of you know many of the things that they do, as w- and, and with Paul's things, of, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I want to be able to give the same opportunities. I, you know, if there's any reason for us to grow as a company, it's to give other people opportunities to do things. It's to employ people. It's to give someone else who's as interested in clothing as I am an opportunity to do something. Right. I do the things I want to do. I don't. I don't ever want to be poor. I've done that. Uh, but I don't need to be that much richer. I'm not looking to earn, you know. <laughs> Are you, you're not looking for a knighthood or anything, right? No, I, I don't <laughs> need to be, you know, sir, anyone. Um, good luck to the guys that are, but um, it's, that's not my thing. Um, I would like to grow the business because I think we can make great product and I want to see more people wearing that product. Right. But it's through love of product and, and doing what we do rather than, a monetary factor right it's a strange it's a slightly different angle to it but i think as you say a big for me personally it's what's part of the drive to succeed is to be able to offer these opportunities to other people yeah well i mean how are, are your folks still around no did they get to see how successful you've become oh i say no My, i i i think i had a very uh, a very good job working for for Paul Smith mm-hmm. and um yeah I mean, that's my, already that's yeah. immensely successful yeah yeah and you know i was um uh my father died very young uh, but he knew that i was doing something that i really enjoyed doing and i think that was for him he could see that that was that meant something to me yeah and my mother who died um uh, only last year she was certainly saw the success of the company that that um I'm a partner of Built, and I think she knew that that was um, a, uh, a really important thing to me. Yeah. So yeah, to some extent, she she saw the the success that we had. That's. I mean, that's really incredible because I feel like, you know, especially you know, knowing that a lot of this came from the fact that you just you know wanted to you know dress yourself. You wanted yeah. to you know yeah, in yeah. in a way that like she kind of helped create not only this desire that you had, but also having you in an environment where that was, that was okay. And that was valid. That wasn't like, excuse you. No, you don't get that choice. I mean, that's, that's something as a, as a parent now I've tried to be, you know, aware of can, you know, yes, you want to raise a kid, but like, also I want to make sure that I'm able to have my daughter in a way that she feels empowered and validated where, you know, she can have those desires that you had that mm-hmm. push them further. Cause mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's interesting because as we've been talking, you know, uh, you're, you're incredibly humble and gracious by all this, but I don't really think that this much good luck exists. A lot of this has really come from, it sounds like your, your hard work and the talent that you've, that you have. Oh, I think, uh, you know, you're right. I think you, success comes massively from hard work. Yeah, for sure. And, and, uh, 
if you have some talent, you've got to make the most of it. And I think, you know, it's for other people to decide if, if the talent's <laughs> there. But for sure, it, I, I'm, I'm not afraid to say that it's, it, a lot of it's hard work. Yeah. And it's easier to put the hard work in if you enjoy what you do. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I would hope that we, we, we are successful, but I know that we, it, a lot of it's hard work whatever the saying is, you know, 90% of success is turning up. Yeah. Uh, but it's turning up every day and every day and every day and, and consistency and doing it again and doing a good job and continuing to do a good job. And, you know, when you talk to the guys who work in our store, you know, you've got to give, uh, you're in the store for eight hours and, and you can have an hour with no one walking in your store and then the next guy that works in could be the best customer you ever have. Mm-hmm. And you're already like bored, or uh, you want to go home, or sure. The consistency of giving everyone good service is hard, um, and we don't always get it right for sure. But you have to keep trying to get it right. Yeah, hard work is is a big, big part of the success for sure. Yeah, without without doubt. And I think that comes from my parents. Absolutely, they were both very hard workers because they didn't know anything else but i think they also it, they knew it was the right thing to do well yeah and i would you know i'm not going to speak for your family in any way but mm. they saw that when they did work hard they you know they got results yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely and and you know the sometimes you have to be reminded by other people thinking that idea that that what they did was allow me to do to have some of those thoughts and mm-hmm. um you know yeah, the idea that it's some kind of nine-year-old kid's going, I'm not wearing that anymore, give me the money, I'll buy it. I mean, yeah, it's extraordinary. <laughs> um, and, but the fact they encouraged me and uh, allowed me to do those things is fantastic. And yeah. I, I don't think I appreciated it until I was much, much older. Yeah. They did allow me that freedom. But they, you know, they didn't allow me the freedom to be wild or crazy. I, sure. I was wild and crazy, but I had to do it outside of their... <laughs> their view and you know <laughs> right. like all like all kids and all teenagers you, yeah you do all the mad stuff when your parents can't see you yeah but they were certainly massively empowering absolutely and and always supported what i wanted to do even if it wasn't what they thought was going to be you know i wasn't going off to be a baker or a candlestick maker right it, they supported me in this sort of crazy weird he wants to do clothing was he well, that's odd yeah because it he's just taking the fabric from the it already is yeah, there what i know <laughs> you know all of those things are so alien to their background but sure. they were always supportive and that level of support and um love i guess is what gives you the opportunity isn't it you know you, yeah. you know you've got that support network behind you yeah so i mean as as your brand's grown, I mean, it's it's not really just just you anymore. I mean, it's not just like oh, this no. guy named David who makes clothes. I mean, is that something that you want to continue in terms of like just the size and, and mass of it? Like, do you see you know Universal Works being all over you know the United States or in other countries? Or um, I guess uh, I mean, obviously, you are in other countries. As a yeah, yeah. Up. I mean, we 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 have. 200 plus stockists globally now and we're in many many countries you know from from japan right across um europe to yeah. and, and and the u.s just got our first customer in mexico we've just got hey, you know, i mean go. all, all those things are fantastic and and really exciting the only thing i would say is the original 
plan to not have a plan still exists. Really? So the so no plan plan is is working well. Okay. Uh, on the basis that plans just get in the way. Plans stop you doing things. If you plan to have six shops and you open five, you're disappointed. You don't open seven, do you? Because you only plan to open six. So I, I would agree with that. So we, we just want to take opportunities as they arise. We don't want to take over the world. We want to get bigger if those opportunities rise in the right way. Right. So we're, you know, we're, we, we want to be able to continue to make great clothes and sometimes to work with the right fabric supplier or the right yarn supplier you need to be a certain size mm. because it's not economical or it's not sustainable so we would like to use way more recycled materials i can only do that if i'm a certain size right. if i'm too small i can't even persuade someone to use recycled polyester not full polyester not new polyester right. if i'm a little bit bigger i've got more opportunity so those things help as you grow but I still like the fact that I know everyone's name who works for us. That's, yeah, and that's pretty that's cool. that's important. Yeah. And, you know, if you, when you don't know their name, you don't know they've got two kids and a dog, then you start losing touch with people. And so it'd be nice to try and stay small enough to feel what, uh, or, or have a sense of what they feel about the company. Right. So I want them to be in touch with the company and I want them to feel part of something. And that's much easier when you're smaller, but they also want to get paid. And, uh, you know, they also need a, a you know, a pension. So sure. all of those things helped by being a certain size. But for me, if you get too big, you just lose touch with it. Yeah. You earlier, you had mentioned recycled materials and that, yep. that is something that obviously you've spoken about before in other interviews. And, mm. you know, I mean, how, how important is that to you in terms of like, you know, being the sort of air quote sustainable and ecological friendly. Uh, I think I mean it's it's very important because it's important for us all, right? Uh, but we also make things, and making things is hard to be sustainable. It's finding ways, finding better ways is something that all companies should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, we make new things. Like none of us need anything. So how does it work? How do we make the planet a better planet and and mm-hmm. not waste things and continue to produce new things? So I think it, partly it needs to be done at a governmental level and we need to be encouraged by our governments to be way, way more sustainable than we are. Mm-hmm. But also individually we can do things. We just have to not pay lip service to, you know, I'd rather use organic cotton than non-organic cotton because I don't want to put pesticides in the planet, but don't kid yourself that organic cotton's not using a ton of water and normal cotton isn't. You know, there's still, still, it's still better to um, think about the whole cycle of things. Yeah. It's still better to not produce so much cheap clothing. Cheap clothing is just the bane of the world's life. It doesn't, we don't need it. You know, we don't need things you throw away after one wear. We need things that last longer and uh, is is a more sustainable option. Yeah. But I know I can't solve things on my own. I can only do the things that, as far as I can for my business. And as, as I said, part of that is actually a little more growth gives me more power to do more things that hopefully I can do for the good, not for the bad. Right. So we, yeah, it's about looking at everything we do 
um, you know, we're constantly trying to reduce our plastic, for instance. But it's really hard to send a new shirt to a guy in Osaka. He wants 10 of these shirts and 10 of those without there being some plastic involved because it's going to go a long way and could get wet and can he wants so yeah, it's going to go halfway around there. the world yeah. but you've still got to keep looking at that to find new ways to do it right so i think trying to improve is the is the big thing um, yeah and trying to be um honest about it yeah when do you think you would feel that universal works is like like it's it's complete or is that a feeling you would ever feel uh oh, someone said to me yesterday or they they just um were talking about the last sales and the collection it was a guy that does our selling in italy and mm-hmm. he said oh are you really happy with everything i said i'm never happy uh, <laughs> it's like the collection's never as good as i want it to be uh it's not that i i think i've done something that's not good no, enough it's just yeah. i think i could have done that just a little bit better yeah well and, who's the person and, that's that's making sure it's complete then uh good question i think um stephanie the my partner who's the other um director in the business Mm -hmm. the co-owner of the business is absolutely the person that uh tells me when i've got it right and wrong more than anyone for sure but i think we're both very pretty similar in the sense that we don't ever think we got it right we just (laughs) think we got it close and we'll try a bit harder next time cool David, again, thank you so much. It was it, for me. It was an honor to speak with you. I'm, I'm a big fan, so I appreciate it. All right, take care. Thank you. You've been listening to Blamo. Our theme music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Blamo is edited by Brendan Finn. If you like the show, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The ratings help let others know we're doing something good. You can follow along with us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast, or you can follow me at the Kirkland. Email us at info at blamopod.com. Want to know more about what's going on in fashion, menswear, or just meet other folks? Join our Slack group. It's a private chat group online where tons of Blamo listeners chat about everything. Just send us an email saying, hey, I want to join, and we'll get you in. All right, we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.